Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, this morning, if you were born in America, which I imagine is most of us here, I know there's a few of you that, that weren't, but uh, most of you, when you were born in America, you probably didn't realize it, uh, but along with your gift certificate, you got an intangible and even greater gift, an intangible gift uh, that was given to you by the government of the United States of America. You're given your citizenship. You probably don't, if rarely, think about it, but it's significant. I mean, think about it. Men and women have died so that you could have it. There's millions of people over the course of history, of the history of the world, who literally put their lives at risk, hoping to get it, and you got it just by being born in America. Citizenship gives you all the rights, privileges, freedoms, and opportunities that we as Americans have and all those things that America offers. And those are some pretty significant things. So most of us, but most of us here are just citizens of the United States. However, there's those rare people, and I don't know if there's any in the audience today, but there's those rare people that find themselves, um, maybe they were overseas and their parents were American citizens and they were born in another country, and they have this cool thing called dual citizenship, where they get the rights and privileges of not just one, but two countries. And I want to let you guys know today that uh, anybody here that's sitting in this room, anybody that hears my voice, if you have asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you've given your life to him and you've said yes to him, you have dual citizenship. Not only are you a citizen of the United States um, or whatever country you happen to be born in, uh, but you are also a citizen of the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.20 tells us this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you said yes to Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have dual citizenship today. The kingdom of God is what we're going to be talking about today. It's so important. The kingdom of God is so important that here's the thing. If Jesus, I believe wholeheartedly, if Jesus were to come here today, if he were to give us, if he had one sermon that he could preach in the flesh today, I believe with almost all of my being, that he would preach on the topic of the kingdom of heaven. And why do I say that? The reason I say that is because if you look up the phrase kingdom of God, or you can use it interchange, the kingdom of heaven, you can use those two uh, phrases interchangeably. They mean the same thing in the scriptures. If you were to look at the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospels. Those are the ones, those are the stories of Jesus's life. Um, you will find that phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven over 80 times about 85 times. It was Jesus's number one sermon topic. He talked about it more than anything else, more than money, more than heaven, more than hell, more than love, more than healing, more than helping, serving. He talked about the kingdom. It was paramount to him. It was the most important thing. When he trained the disciples while he was on this earth, he gave them like a test run. He, uh, he sent them out to preach. He told them to preach the kingdom. That's what they were supposed to preach. It's an incredibly important topic, and that's why we're going to be taking the next four weeks, you and I are, and together we're going to explore this idea and this concept of the kingdom, and we're, we're really going to discover why it's so important and why it affects or should affect every single Christian's life on this earth. But let me ask you, let me ask a question this morning, or, or actually kind of looking for a volunteer. 
Um, I need someone who would be willing to be put to the test today, okay? Is anybody in here an American scholar? Does anyone, was anyone really good in social studies or government class? And uh, would you be willing to get put to the test today? Wow, nobody. <laughs> All right, Cody, come on up, man. You're the, you're the, my lone. Everybody else is like, I don't know what he's going to do. Give it up for Cody. Oh, that's all right. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for helping me out. All right, Dakota, what is, uh, are you a social studies guy? So it's okay. So, so you, you just wanted to not make me feel bad, so you, yeah, you say okay. All right. All right, Cody. Um, I'll start off with, a, I'm going to give you a question or two, and I want you to, to give me the answers, and, and I'll maybe let you, let the audience help you a little bit, but um, I'm going to start off with the first one. What is the supreme law of the land? Oh, gosh, I have uh, no idea, so. Can anybody help you? What is it? The Constitution. The Constitution. Good job. All right. Good job, Cody, Sandy. All right. (laughs) She teaches fifth grade, so she knows. Uh, What what do we call the first 10 amendments to the Constitution? That's the Bill of Rights. Oh, give it up for Cody. Good job, man. So-so, you know. You got it. You got it. Didn't even need Sandy for that one. Didn't even need your lifeline. How many amendments does the Constitution have? Is it 26? Oh my gosh, 27. That's incredible. Way to go, man. Nice job. Yeah, that's, that's good. What economic system does the United States operate under? Capitalism. Oh, good job, man. Way to go. What stops one branch of the government from becoming too powerful? Oh, I don't know if you're looking for like a technical term, but it's the fact that we have like checks and balances. Checks and balances. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Good job. Name one U.S. territory. What's that? Name one U.S. territory. That. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Sandy didn't even let him think. Last I question. Say, I was like, you don't mean states, right? You mean- yeah, last question. Who was president during World War I? During World War I, uh, was it Teddy Roosevelt? That's, that would be during, I don't know, Franklin Roosevelt was during the Depression, World War II. But anyone? Sandy, do you have this one? Woodrow, some of you were alive when that happened. You know. That's not fair. All right, give it up for Cody. You did a good job. Way to go, man. Yes, Woodrow Wilson was the answer to, to that last question. Good job, Cody. I, there's a lot of those questions that I, even though I like social studies and history and government, I don't know that I would have got. No, I know that I didn't because I tested myself before I tested you on that. Um, <laughs> So here's the thing. Becoming a citizen of the United States is not an easy thing. These questions that I read to Cody, that I gave to Cody, were um, I gave him about five questions out of 100 questions that you have to answer as you, take, you got, as, the, as you take a test to become a citizen of the United States of America. It's not an easy process. You've got to meet the requirements First of all, to be a citizen, which means having residency in this country for a number of years. And once you have met those, and, and there's other requirements beyond that, but once you've met those requirements, which are substantial, and you have to fill out a very long application. I went online, I looked at it, and I thought, man, I'm glad I don't have to fill that out. Uh, you, have to take your, you have to take the test that I just gave, the 100-question test. You have to get your fingerprints and DNA taken. You have to go through an interview process. You have to pay fees. You have to take an oath. Whew. Man, birth, being birthed is so much easier, right? Right? Ladies, birthing is so much easier than that, right? I'm going to get stoned if I say things like that up here. At least it was for me. 
<laughs> but being a citizen is significant, isn't it? There's significance in that. I hope I showed you that uh, this morning. But so many of us take it for granted, right? We don't think about our citizenship. Those that have come over here from another country and they've gained access to citizenship, they, they don't take it for granted. They understand what it means to be a citizen and how important it is. And, and, but for us, it's so easy just to not think about it and just to enjoy it but not really, you know, understand what went into it or what it took to get us to that point or what it took to get our nation to the point where we could be citizens. And I feel like we do the same thing as believers. You know, God has made access to his kingdom so incredibly easy that we don't think about it very often. We don't really, we kind of take it for granted, really. You know, I, I think back to when I first said yes to Jesus and I first became a citizen of the kingdom. I was 10 years old. And a neighbor had invited me to church, a little Assembly of God church in Brookings, South Dakota. And I went down to the altar that night as a, you know, fourth grade kid. And um, I said yes to Jesus. And I didn't really understand the significance of what happened to me that night. Because in, from my perspective, I said a prayer. It was great. I felt good afterwards. But at the same time, I didn't feel different. I still felt like the same me. I still went home to the same house. I still ate the same food. I still went to the same school the next day. I didn't really realize in the spirit what had happened and transpired that night. Because if I could have seen into the spirit that night, what I would have understood is that that kid that came down to the altar was a sinner. He was a rebel and in rebellion toward God. He was spiritually in a dark kingdom. He was headed for destruction. I didn't know any of that. I just thought I was going down to, you know, say a prayer. But that's the kid that came down to the altar. But what happened at the altar was a transforming experience. Even though it didn't feel like much to me, that sinner, that kid that was in the kingdom of darkness, headed for destruction, came out of that altar after giving his heart to the Lord as what 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls a brand new creation. Down at that altar, my spirit came to life. My sinful nature was demolished and destroyed and left there at that altar. And I was transplanted, the Bible says in, in Colossians 1.13, it says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. I got new citizenship in, in heaven that night. I was a brand new creature with a brand new kingdom, and I didn't even know it, man. And I think so many of us don't. We don't realize the significance of our salvation. We don't know and we don't think about what it really means to be a member of the kingdom of God and how very important that is and what work God really does in our hearts during that time. We just don't really stop to think about it and consider it. But when you say that prayer, man, you are a brand new creation. You're, you're totally different. You may look the same. You may feel the same. You know, some people, they come down to the altar, and they have a life-transforming experience, and they feel it. But for some people, it's just they say a prayer, they believe it, but they, they don't feel it. But let me tell you something. You may not feel it, but if you can look into the Spirit, you're a brand new creation when you leave or, or after you say that prayer, after you give your heart to the Lord. Just as being born again in the U.S. makes you a citizen, there, well, let me back up a little bit. In the Bible, Jesus had this conversation with a religious leader, and during this conversation, he throw, Jesus throws out this phrase that just baffles this religious leader, and he says, he says if, if, if you want to partake of the kingdom, you must be born again. And the guy, you know, it just baffled him. What do you mean, be born again? But 
but like I was saying, just as being born into the United States makes you a citizen of the United States, being born again makes you a citizen of this kingdom. You're born into, reborn into a brand new kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. So let, let's explore it a little bit. What is this kingdom that we've been reborn into? What does it look like? Well, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, I think most of us, we think about heaven. We think about, we talk about the kingdom of God. I think most of us, we automatically, we think about heaven. In fact, when Pastor Barry last week was at the end of his message, he brought me up here and he said I was going to be preaching on the kingdom or the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven or something like that. And I had a lot of people come up to me this week and they're like, hey, I'm so excited you're preaching on heaven. It's going to be great. I'm like, well, I'm preaching on the kingdom of God, not really heaven, so to speak. But actually, we will be talking about heaven uh, in, in a few weeks. But, um, but the kingdom of God is not heaven specifically. It's kingdom of heaven is part, part of the, or heaven as is part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the whole kingdom of God. Um, when Jesus talked about heaven, well, l- let me say it to you this way. Matthew 12, 28 says this, but if I'm, this is Jesus talking, but if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. We sang it this morning. He brought kingdom, he brought heaven to us. He brought the kingdom here. So when Jesus, you know, the first words out of his mouth when he started his ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was bringing the kingdom to this earth. So the kingdom is not so much a location, but what is the kingdom? Well, if you look at the Greek word for kingdom that you find 80 plus times throughout the gospels and and even more throughout the New Testament, that word kingdom, the definition of that is rule, rule or authority over. Does that make sense? So we, we get hung up on this idea that if you, have to, if you have a kingdom, it has to have a specific location, you know, whether it's the kingdom of Jordan or the kingdom of Liechtenstein or, you know, whatever kingdom you're talking about, it usually is tied to a location. That's how we think of it. But God's kingdom is not a location-based kingdom. It's a kingdom of rule and authority. It's where he has authority. If you go back to the Bible, the very beginning of time, authority was given to... It, Authority was given to man to control the world, right? That's where authority was given. It was, you know, we see these verses in the Bible that say God uh, owns the world, and then we see that Satan is the prince of this world, and it seems like they're in conflict, but they're really not because the ultimate answer is that man has been given authority over this world, and the way that God's kingdom tangibly manifests in this earth is through his people, That's how it manifests. Because wherever a believer goes, that's where the kingdom goes. Whatever a believer owns, if they've subjected it and submitted it to God, that's the kingdom stuff. Does that make sense? This building is kingdom property. My car is kingdom property. Okay? My house is kingdom property. Where I go is kingdom. We take the kingdom with us wherever we go. As long as we're subjected and we're underneath the authority of God, we take the kingdom with us wherever we're at. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is. And like any other kingdom, kingdoms have to have a few things. One of them, they have to have a ruler. Our ruler is God. Okay? Uh, It has to have subjects. Uh, the, the subjects of the kingdom of God are those of us who have said yes, who have been born again. Uh, and then, you know, the angels and the other heavenly creatures that God has created. Those are the subjects of the kingdom. And the other thing that a kingdom has to have is it has to have laws, systems, and standards that dictate the behavior and the way that we conduct ourselves 
And this is where the kingdom changes us. Because when we step into this new kingdom, we may not understand it, but it's an entirely new way of doing life. It's an entirely new way to be human. And that's the, that's the series title, A New Way to Be Human. It's a new way to live on this. We're still on the earth, but yet, but we're subjects of a different kingdom. And we have a whole new way to live and a whole new way to do life. And guys, let me tell you something. That, that's where the problem is comes in. Until you give your life to Christ, see, you are living in a default kingdom. Because there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom that the Bible calls the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. So by default, when we were born, ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of garden, the garden at the, at the beginning of time, ever since that point, every single person has been born with this thing we call a sinful nature. We've been born into this system and this kingdom of the world. And the thing about this kingdom of the world is it's completely polar opposite from God's kingdom. The two kingdoms are completely incompatible. They're like oil and water, like cats and dogs. They're like boomers and technology. They're just <laughs> completely incompatible. Right, boomers? Just kidding. Just, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not because I've seen some of you try to operate your devices, and it scares me, really. It reminds me of my parents. I went to their house and... I don't know if I told you the story, but they, they had got these Echo Dots. You know, I don't know who turned them on to these things, or, and I'm probably going to hear about this later because they're probably watching online. So I apologize in advance. So when I turned them on to these Echo Dots, you know, and you say, and so they asked me to set them up, so I did, and I said, and then I showed them, like, this is how it works. You say, Alexa, and she's like, yes, what can I do for you? And you say, play me, and my parents like oldies, so I think I played Queen or something. I was like, play Queen, you know, we are the champions, and they were, oh, man, they thought that was so cool. They thought it was awesome. And so I was like, great, you guys are good. You know, here's, here's your stuff. I got down the road, not even five minutes, I was heading home back to Iowa. Not only five minutes, I get a phone call. Jared, Jared, this thing's not working. I was like, what? I just, I was just there five minutes ago. I was like, how is it not working? So I had him check a few things, and everything checked out fine. And I was like, well, why don't you put me on speakerphone and tell it to play a song? And this is what I hear. Alexi! Alexi! See, I told you it's not working. It's like you gotta call it Alexa. You can't call it Alexi. It doesn't, you know. Boomers and technology. Just <laughs> These two kingdoms are completely incompatible. They cannot coexist. They are totally different. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're like black and white. They're like night and day. They cannot exist together. And that, like I said, is where the problem comes in. Because here's the deal. We were born into this kingdom of the world. It was our default kingdom. We're used to it. We see it every day. We're around it every day. And it's how we grew up. And it's what we know. And that's where the rub comes. Because we were born into this kingdom that's completely incompatible. But yet, it's what we've always known. And so it tends to be how we always try to operate. And then we get translated by God into this new kingdom and this new kingdom is crazy in comparison with the world. Now, let me give you some examples of the difference in philosophies between the two. The world says, the best will be the greatest. And in God's kingdom, the least will be the greatest. The world says, look out for number one. And the kingdom says, take care of the helpless. The world says, wealth comes through taking. And the kingdom says, wealth comes through giving. The world says power is made through self. The kingdom says power is made through weakness. The world says if you're broken, you're useless. 
The kingdom says, unless you're broken, you can't be used. So you've got these two kingdoms completely polar opposite. But we're over here in the world side so much because this is what we know and what we're used to. It's like when I was in Sioux Falls, we had Congolese refugees that came over from the Congo. And they had so many barriers to overcome when they came into America because they came from a third world nation. And so there were things that they didn't have, like indoor plumbing. And, you know, they didn't have that in the Congo. And so they had to be literally, they had to have classes and be shown how to use the toilet because they didn't know how to do it. They were used to something completely different. There was uh, language barriers, obviously, to overcome in this new world that they were in. But then, you know, the other thing that, that always struck me crazy is there was cultural barriers that they had to overcome, too. And one of the examples of this that um, a lady at our church who did a lot of work with the Congolese said is that they had this cultural mentality of, like, a tribe mentality. It was a communal mentality. And so if you bought something, that something that you bought wasn't yours. It belonged to the tribe. And so, you know, you'd have a boy who would go out to a park and he'd see a bike laying down and he would just take that bike and he'd take it for a ride and he'd, he'd put it back when he was done. But, you know, he would take some other kid's bike and he'd start taking it for a ride. And you can see how that doesn't really work, does it? Because in America, our stuff is our stuff and that's my stuff. And that's, you know, and the police would have just, you know, they would be banging their heads against the wall because they would have to deal with these situations because their mentality was stuck in the Congo, and here they're in a new world operating under a new dynamic, and they didn't even know how to do it, but they, would keep, they kept going back to what they knew, right? That's what we do as believers so many times, and we do it both ways. We try to, sometimes we, we, we try to enforce, I've seen it both ways, I, but, but one of the ways I see it is we try to enforce kingdom values onto a worldly system, and let me, let me, let me tell you what that looks like. I mean, well, let me ask you this question first of all, because I know that elections are coming up. Are we excited about elections coming up? How many of you are excited for the day when we get a president that loves God, that loves Jesus, that comes into this place, that's ready to take back America and take back what the devil has stolen from us? How many are ready for that day? Let me tell you something, church. It ain't going to happen. I'm serious. Revival doesn't come from the top down. The Bible tells us the kingdom way is 2 Chronicles 7.14. Here's what needs to happen. God's people need to humble themselves, repent, and seek his face. Then revival will come. It's not going to come from electing somebody. It's going to come from us getting humble and repenting of our wickedness and seeking his face. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend you. But that's exactly, but that's what we do. We try to enforce kingdom values on a world system. Politics is a world system. Jesus didn't mess with it, and, and you're like, oh, what did Pastor Barry talked about civic duty? You guys are in disarray and disunity. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're not. What Pastor Barry said last week was perfectly on point and perfectly in sync. And if we are Christians, we should be getting out there, and we should be doing as much as we can to bring Jesus into every corner of our political system because the Lord knows the political system needs Jesus. Amen? So we should, and we should as Christians vote. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But what I'm saying is, and what he said as well, is don't pin your hopes on those things. Because you can't apply a kingdom system to a world system. They don't mix. The political system will not be redeemed in this world. We know that. And even if we do find a, a leader who's awesome and submitted to Jesus and loves God, they're going to get lamb blasted. We saw it with the current vice, or one of the vice presidents we've had recently. Love Jesus, love God, had kingdom values and conservative values and got lamb blasted for it. So don't put your hopes on that. That's a world system. We put our hope in a kingdom system. The other way I see this happen is this. We get angry when Hollywood puts out shows that don't align with kingdom values, right? 
how dare sinners make movies about sin? That's what they do. They're sinners. They're part of a world system. They're not Christians. They're not making movies. They're not making kingdom movies. They're making worldly movies, people. But we get angry about it, and we go to Facebook, and we, we rant about it, or we get Christian writers to write blog posts, and we protest, and we get conservative pundits to get angry about it and to make everybody whipped up into a frenzy. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens to us? We become known for what we're against rather than what we're for. And we lose opportunities as Christians to win the loss because we're trying to make them live out kingdom laws before they're even kingdom citizens. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be against those things. I'm not saying, it, but, but here's what we're saying. Is my, for my influence, where, my, where I can influence the kingdom of God in my house, we're going to watch what we watch. And I'm going to watch what they're exposed to. And I'm going to expose the lies of the enemy when I see those things on TV. But as far as they're concerned, I'm trying to win them to the kingdom before I make them follow kingdom laws. That's where it's at. And so we get this idea where we can just kind of, we can force the kingdom into a world system, but people, it doesn't work, and Christians get frustrated by it, and all of a sudden we're losing this thing we call the culture wars. But you know what? It's okay to lose the culture wars because I want to take some people to heaven with us. I'm not so cared about redeeming this culture as I am redeeming people for Jesus Christ. There's a difference between those two things. But what I see a struggle with, I see that happen, and, and I don't love it, but I see it. I see people try to put the kingdom into the world, but really what I see more often than not with us, and I, the one that I struggle with the most, is seeing the world system try to be pushed into the kingdom system. And remember those two things, they just do not work, right? I told you at the beginning of the message that everybody who wants to be a citizen has got to take an oath. Um, I want to read you the first line of that oath that they take as a citizen. And I might stumble my way through it because it uses verbiage that we don't, it's not the way that we normally talk. But I want you to, to catch this. First, oath, first line of the oath says this. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, pennant, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I herefore have been subject to or have, a, have been a subject or a citizen. Did you catch that? The first oath of the United States citizenship is to denounce their former country. Isn't that cool? I feel like we need to do that as Christians. Like that should be part of the sinner's prayer. Like repeat this oath after me. I hereby reject and renounce the world and I embrace the kingdom of God. And we do that. And I mean, we kind of do that in so many words. We do that through discipleship later on in the process, but I think that's really cool that they do that because, uh, you know, if we implemented that same idea, we wouldn't have as many people trying to bring the world system into the kingdom because they would understand that they're completely different, and we have to renounce the world when we say yes to Jesus if we want to be kingdom citizens and live in the kingdom of God. So I'm using this phrase, the world. You might be asking yourself, well, what, what the heck is the world? What does that mean, Pastor Jared? Well, um, I did a class a while back, and, and I came up with, an, with a definition that's kind of my own. Um, but the world is this. It's the people and things around us that are in opposition to the ways of God. The people and things around us that are in opposition to the ways. It's, that's the simplest way I could break it down so that, you could, so that we all could understand it. Remember before I said the kingdom has to have a few things, a ruler? The ruler of the world is the enemy, Satan. He's called the prince of this world, and he has influence over anyone who is unregenerate, regenerate. anyone who hasn't been born again. He has influence, and he has say over them in the world. The subjects are, like I just said, any non-believer 
who inhabits his earth, our subjects of the world. The laws, systems, and standards that define behavior are found in 1 John chapter 2, 15. I want to read it for you. John says this, don't love the world or anything of the world, uh, or, or I'm sorry, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay? So right there, John defines the system and standards of the world. There's three things. I don't know if he caught them. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, this is, these aren't things we're familiar with, so let me unpack that for a second, okay? What does it mean? What is the lust of the flesh? Well, lust, let's just take that word. Um, I think, Pastor Barry, you say this, don't you? An over-desire, yeah. It came into my head, and I thought that was from him. Lust is an over-desire. So any of these things that I say, lust... See, these things I'm going to be talking about in and of themselves are not bad things. They're good things. Some of them are necessary for life. But when we add lust to them, it's an over-desire for these things. And so the lust of the flesh, what is that? Um, the, the flesh is this body. It's the things that the body craves, like base impulses and needs, like food and sex and things that our body wants. And so how does this play out in our day-to-day life? Well, you're at the Cheesecake Factory, and you've just binged yourself on one of the 8,000 menu items that the Cheesecake Factory offers, and this waitress comes to you and says, did you leave any room for dessert? Of course you didn't leave any room for dessert, but you see in the little glass uh, case on the other side that there's a Reese's Peanut Butter Cheesecake, <laughs> gargantuan piece, and it's staring at you, I gotta have that. And so you order it, and you glutton yourself, even though you know that you really don't need it. That's an example of the lust of the flesh. I gotta have more, I gotta have more. And so gluttony is a manifestation of the lust of the flesh. This plays out in things like affairs. You know, someone who was married and then they see someone and they're either very physically attracted to them or emotionally attracted or maybe both. And then, you know, they, they, ha- they have what they need already, but then they look outside that for something more and there's a lust that happens. Uh, pornography is another great example of that. Jesus was tempted by Satan before he went into his ministry and Satan tempted him in these three areas. And when he tempted him with the lust of the flesh, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and Satan came and said, hey, turn these bread, turn this bread into a, or turn this stone into bread so you can eat, you're hungry. And um, that was his way of testing Jesus in the, the lust of the, the flesh. The lust of the eyes, I put in parentheses stuff, okay, or, or in quotes, stuff. It's the stuff. Again, these things aren't bad, but when you have an over-desire for them, they are. Things like cars, you know, you've got a great car, it works fine, but whoa. They came out with the new model. Man, it's, it's faster, it's better, I gotta have it. You have a house that's perfectly great and it's awesome, but you go on HGTV and, and people wanna entertain. Everyone knows that everybody in HGTV wants to entertain. I'm just waiting for the day when someone's like, I'm an introvert, and I don't want anybody in my house. <laughs> Let's be real, you're not gonna entertain that much. But you think, man, I wish I could entertain. I wanna have a bigger house, you know? Your house is perfectly fine, but you want a bigger one. That's the lust of the eyes. Um, you know, ladies, it's having a, an entire um, wardrobe, uh, an entire closet full of clothes and totes and totes and totes that you bring out at different seasons full of clothes. But yet, you see that one outfit, and you, it's so cute, and you have to have it because you know that when you come up to your girlfriends, they're going to say, oh my gosh, girlfriend, that is so awesome. You look so beautiful in that dress. I just love it. You ever notice that women, they, they, they're so good, they lift each other up all the time, don't they? But then they just smash each other down because they'll be like, oh, you are so beautiful in that dress. Oh, if I wore that dress, I'd look like a pile of pudding on the floor. <laughs> you ever notice it? Like, why do they do that? They lift each other up and then they just slam each other down. 
And guys are completely opposite. They just look at each other and like, bro, you look chubbier than normal. (laughs) (laughs) Then they just, you know, they're back and forth. But, you know, it's like you got enough, but you want more always. That's the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, rather, when Satan tempted him in this area, Jesus took him to a high place, showed him, the Bible says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, you can have these if you just bow down to me. It's like, it's the stuff, you know? He's just asking Jesus, hey, the stuff is here. Do you want it? I'll give it to you. The last one is the pride of life. The pride of life is admiration. The pride of life is fame. The pride of life is popularity and notoriety. The pride of life is, I'm going to post something on Facebook or on Instagram or I'm going to do a TikTok video and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look at the count of how many people liked it and see how many comments I get so that I can get known a little bit or in the town it's I want to go to the right places to meet the right people so I can get invited to the right party so that people in the town are going to know who I am and they're going to talk about me. That's the pride of life. You know, the world has this figured out. They know this already. They, they, they sum it up this way, money, sex, and power. But it's the same thing, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes pride of life. Jesus was tempted by the pride of life when Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and Satan said, why don't you throw yourself down from this temple right now, because the Bible says that angels are going to come and they're going to save you from hitting, hitting the ground, and you're not going to get hurt. So in other words, Jesus was trying to, or Satan rather, was trying to get Jesus to say, to, to make himself famous before the people, before his time, so that everybody would know who he was, and he'd get notoriety. It was the pride of life he was tempting him in, and of course, Jesus wasn't tempted by any of these. He He told the enemy off and he said to get out of here, basically. But here's the thing. Those are the systems of the world. And the sad part is, guys, here's the deal. We, so many times as Christians, we operate out of these things and we chase after these things. We chase after the the desires of the flesh because we want something in our body and we just desire it or we, 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 have, we think we need stuff so we go after the stuff or we, we want to get notoriety or make ourselves look better than we are. And so we try to bring these, these worldly systems into the kingdom and sometimes we even try to ask God to bless these things. You know, we go after a job or a business opportunity that's going to make us more money because we want more stuff and more things and we want the money and so we chase after it in a spirit of greed we do you can do these things in the right spirit i understand but in a spirit of greed you chase after that and then you bring it to god and say god i want you to bless this bless this business bless this job opportunity and god's saying no that's a worldly thing that you're going after and i'm not going to do it because your heart's not in the right place when i was living in minnesota i um i had been there i was 19 years old and uh, I had been there for about eight months or so, and I had changed the tags of my car over to Minnesota tags. Um, and so I was, uh, but I was going home one, one day to South Dakota to visit probably Devin. We were dating at the time. And on my way back, uh, I got pulled over through a town. Not sure why the cop wanted to pull me over, but he did. Um, I don't think it was because I was going too fast, but probably. Um, but he said, you know, give me your license and registration. I did. He saw my license, and he said, Thompson. You know, I've got, my last name is a unique spelling of Thompson. He said, I, Thompson, I, do you know a John Thompson? And I was like, oh, here's my chance. Well, yes, I do. That's my dad. How do you know him? Oh, I drove bus for him when I went to college. Oh, was, he was great. Oh, yeah, my dad. Oh, man, he drives bus. I think he might have mentioned, what's your name? Yeah, I think he talked about you. Yeah, you know, I'm trying really hard to get out of a ticket. Um, and so, you know, we go from this conversation. All of a sudden, his face gets really stern. I got to go back to my car. I'm like, oh, no. You know, and then he's back there, and he's back there, and, he's, and, and you know, like, the longer they're back there in that car, the worse it is for you, right? Okay? He's back there for a long time. Finally, he comes up, and he says, hey, uh, your, your license needed to be changed over six months ago. Um, it's expired, and uh, you're, so needless to say, I got a ticket, and I, I wasn't very happy when I left. But here's the thing. 
I had credentials for two different states, but I had residency in one state. And here's what we try to do as Christians. We try to, we, we think we can live in two kingdoms at once, but it doesn't work that way. The Bible says in the book of James that if you want to be a friend of the world, it's going to make you an enemy of God and vice versa. You can't have it both ways. You have to choose where you're going to live. You can have citizenship in two countries, but you can only have residency in one. So you have to make a decision what you're going to do because heaven has a lot of citizens, but very few or a lot fewer residents. So the question is this, how do we say no to the world? Because we know this system, it's what we see, it's what, it's what advertisers are throwing at us and they're, they're trying to hit our triggers, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, you know? They're, they're, this stuff is getting thrown at us all day long because we, even though God's kingdom is not of this world, we are still in this world and we interact with this world. We can't help it, it's where we are. In fact, it's good that we're here because then we can take other people with us and show them the kingdom. We need to be here. This is our assignment while we're on this earth. But the question is, how do we keep the world from infecting and getting into us and for us to try to bring that into the kingdom and trying to, to live in both places and have the best of both worlds? You know what I mean? Some of you maybe experience this if you're empty nesters that you get these kids they call boomerang kids who come and live back home with you, right? And uh, they, want, they like living at home because it means there's no rent, it means there's free food, it means that they have laundry service, just like when they were little kids, right? But the thing is, once they've experienced freedom, they've learned how to live life the way they like to live life. But the problem is when they try to come back home and live life the way they want to live life, a lot of times that way of life is incompatible with mom and dad's house. And so once in a while, the older kids need to be reminded of whose house they're living in, right? And they need to be shown that, hey, that doesn't, it might fly when you're by yourself or are out from underneath my roof, but it doesn't fly when you're in here. And so it goes for the kingdom. But the question is this then, how do we not, how do we say no to the world and, and fully embrace the kingdom? This kind of, I'm kind of ending up here, the last thing I have. It goes like this. And I want to show you something really cool that I'd never seen in scripture before. There's this great teaching that Jesus did called the Sermon on the Mount. We did a whole series on it called the Master Class. If you haven't seen it, go look at the videos. They're great. Um, in his teaching in there, Jesus gives us the key to this question, okay? And I never saw it before, but I saw it when I was studying for this. And I'm going to take you to that, that Sermon on the Mount found primarily in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And I want to show you something. I want to take you first to Matthew 6, 26. Jesus says this. He's just, here's a scene. He's just teaching to a, a whole bunch of people about a, various topics. And he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, sow or they don't reap. In other words, they don't harvest, they don't plant. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? So here he talks about food, right? Like, I'm gonna, I'll provide you food. What is that? That's the satisfying the flesh, right? I want to take you to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the stuff, the things of this earth. They'll inherit it, the meek, the humble. What is that? That satisfies the eyes, right? Matthew 6, or I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, and that word called, I put it up there, the Greek, uh, there, that, that phrase, shall be called, in the Greek means to bear a name or title among men, among people. In other words, you get to be known among people as a son of God. Notoriety. What does that satisfy? The pride of life, right? 
All these things, these three things. Jesus had mentioned them specifically. But, and they're the things that we crave because we run after them as Christians all the time. And some of us become worldly Christians because we do. But how does, how does God say that those things are going to be taken care of? The answer comes in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So these things are all preceding. And then Jesus wraps it up this way and says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all of these things will be added to you. What does that tell us, church? We don't need to run after the things of the world because we're going to be taken care of. The temporary needs that we have while we're on this earth are going to be taken care of. We're going to get this entire earth. It's going to be our inheritance. You don't need more stuff. You're going to have all the stuff you want when we get an inheritance on this earth through his kingdom. You're going to get notoriety and be called the sons and the daughters of God, the children of God. If we seek first the kingdom. So, real quick as I'm, as I'm ending up, this is all I got for you today and I'm, I'm just about done. How do we implement this? What does this look like in real life? How do you seek the kingdom first? Well, here's the deal. You're in control. You choose which kingdom you're going to live in. And sometimes you have to make that choice multiple times a day, which kingdom you're going to live in, you're going to operate out of, right? You make that choice. It's it's. It's when you go to work first thing in the morning and encounter your impossible-to-please boss, which kingdom will you live out of in that scenario? When you open your phone to find a post on social media accusing you with half-truths and lies, which kingdom will you choose to live out of? When you get a raise at work and you got to decide what to do with the extra money, which kingdom will you choose to live out of? Tithe it. (laughs) When you're by yourself online, which kingdom will you choose to live out of? When you're at school and someone shows you a picture of the next period's test, which kingdom are you going to live out of? Everything we crave will be taken care of if we just take time to seek the kingdom first. So here's the application today. Seek the kingdom of God first. You got an opportunity? Seek the kingdom of God. You're looking for a direction? Seek the kingdom of God. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do, acknowledge God and seek his kingdom, first thing. As you're going throughout your day, Lord, what should I do? I have a decision. You have decisions to make all day long. Invite the kingdom of God into those decisions. Seek those, seek the kingdom of God first. And here's the thing, here's, here's the really cool part about that. When you start seeking the kingdom first, you're gonna find that your life is more content you're more fulfilled, you're full of joy because you're not running after stuff like the world is that will never fulfill them because ultimately Satan's goal for them is to get addicted to that stuff so they're completely useless. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the world system leads to. That's Satan's ultimate objective. Their ruler wants them, kills, wants them killed, steal, stolen from, and destroyed. That's where, the, that's where the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes of pride, that's where those things lead to. So if you find yourself... Take, take inventory of your life. Am I chasing after those things? Because if you are, you're going to be unhappy, you're going to be unsatisfied, you're going to be unfulfilled, and you're going to find yourself ultimately in a path of destruction. But if you're seeking the kingdom of God, the great side benefits of that are the things I talked about, joy, fulfillment, peace. Those things are going to be with you, and they're going to be part of your MO. So seek his kingdom first. That's, that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. But before we leave, and I got about three minutes here before it's 11.30. Um, I've been talking a lot about the kingdom during this message. And in preparation for this message, I've been praying a lot that uh, God would work on hearts. 
And I know that there's probably some people in this room, and you have not yet become a citizen of the kingdom. And like I said at the beginning of the message, citizenship to God's kingdom is so incredibly easy. You see, we were born into this world, and I've made that abundantly clear. And because we were born into this world, there was no hope of being a citizen of the kingdom. But God made a way through Jesus. He sent him from the kingdom of heaven to bring the kingdom to this earth so that we could all enjoy access to God. And the way that he did that was by asking his son, or Jesus rather, his son, giving up his life on the cross to become a sacrifice for us, which paved the way for us to become citizens. Now, how do we accept that gift? He gives it to us freely. He asks us to do a couple of things. Well, I've already talked about one of them, to renounce the world to renounce that former life and to embrace Jesus, to embrace the new kingdom. He asked us to confess and repent of our sins because we've all fallen short, we've all messed up. Even just being born into this world is enough to be a rebel to God. And so he asks us to repent of those things and then he asks us to follow him in the kingdom and learn the kingdom ways. And I want to lead you in a prayer that's going to get you started on that path this morning to make that decision, but the decision is yours. No one's going to get forced. God doesn't force anybody. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you've never made that decision. And I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision this morning. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do here in a couple of minutes is I'm going to have everybody close their eyes. And they're going to bow their heads. Nobody's going to be looking around. So it's just going to be a decision between you, me, and God. Maybe you've made that decision and uh, you've, been, you've been kind of running for the worldly things. You've been running to the world for your fulfillment. And you need to make a fresh commitment to the Lord. I'm open to that too today. So let's go ahead and do that. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And around this place this morning, if there's anybody in this message, there's something in this message that's hit you because the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. And maybe it's, this is a culmination of things God's already talking to you about. And you want to be a citizen of the kingdom. And you want to make that commitment today for the first time to acknowledge him and to disassociate yourself from the world. I want you to go ahead and raise your hand this morning if that's you. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. Got a couple hands. All right, we're all going to say a prayer together, and I want you to repeat after me. And the Bible says, if you believe this in your heart, you will be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So let's pray together. Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my shortcomings. I disassociate myself from the world. I reject it. And I embrace your kingdom. Help me to follow you with my whole heart and my whole life. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for each and every individual in this place. God, I pray that as we leave this morning, God, the kingdom goes with us. God, that we'll take the kingdom wherever we go. And God, in whatever we do, Father, that you will be glorified through us. And uh, Father God, that we will show people who the king is and what it means to be a part of the kingdom by the way that we live our lives. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.